Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you, because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment should just grow something. Hey there, welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This Focal Point Friday episode will probably be pretty quick. We're in the middle of trying to prep garden beds for planting for spring. We're actually getting some of them already planted. And so this week has sort of gotten away from me. So rather than the topic that I had planned for this episode, I think I'm going to go ahead and just talk about experimenting in the garden. So if you are an experienced gardener or you are a beginning gardener who has one or two seasons under your belt, I totally encourage you to experiment in your garden. For beginners, the first couple seasons, just follow the guidelines, right? Follow the instructions on the seed packets, follow, you know, my guidance in this podcast or whatever gardening books you have or whatever references you have, follow those as closely as possible for at least the first season or two until you sort of get the hang of things. But after that, you know, every every region, every area of the country, every mesoclimate, and by mesoclimate, I mean your area of your climate, you know, um, is different from one another. And what works in one person's garden may not necessarily work as well in yours. So take those basic guidelines and manipulate them a little bit. Base it off of your gardening history. Base it off of your experiences. Base it off of what worked well for you the previous year and what did not. I'm going to do an episode later on about the benefits of a garden journal and what you should keep in that journal. But just know for now that taking notes during your garden season is a great way to sort of help you manipulate how things go in your garden. We on the farm actually do experimenting every single season. I have a small area in the front of the farm that is mostly raised beds and that is sort of our experimental area. It's where we test out new varieties or crops that we haven't grown before and decide whether or not it's something that we want to keep. Once they've proven themselves in those raised beds, then we may decide that it's something that we want to grow on a larger scale and we'll prep a field specifically for that from then on out. Um, Or we'll decide, yeah, we weren't so thrilled with that. Or maybe we need to try it another year and change the growing conditions a little bit, maybe adjust our planting dates. My husband actually two years ago, two seasons ago, so that would have been 2019, he decided he wanted to grow lufa. We had been at a conference, a veteran farmers conference, and he had run into another uh, veteran farmer who was from further south of us. I think she was from Texas, and she was growing copious amounts of lufa. And he loved this because number one, he never realized that lufa was not a sponge that came like from the ocean. It's something that you grow. Uh, and he has at his farmer's markets, 
a lot of soap vendors. And he thought it would be super fun to grow some loofah and then his soap vendors could sell those alongside their soaps as sort of a companion type thing. So we dedicated, he built a huge trellis. We dedicated an area for that. That first year we got no loofah. And I realized that we had started them too late. They need a very long growing season. I needed to get them started indoors way early, make sure they were nice and big before we transplanted them outside. So last year, 2020, we tried again and managed to get them in the ground a little bit earlier, probably not as early as we should have, but we did manage to get a few loofah. And actually, it's been sitting in our kitchen. We've been using them all season long or all winter long. And so we're encouraged to go ahead and take the leap to growing maybe a few more of those and moving them out into one of the other garden areas and free up that space up front for another experimental crop. I would totally recommend you doing that before going full force into something that, especially things that, you know, where you may have some expensive seeds. Uh, there are varieties out there that can be fairly expensive or hard to find. And if it's something that, you know, you want to grow, maybe just try it, a little trial run, a couple of seeds, a couple of plants here and there before you really, you know, go for it. With that being said, this year we're actually doing some experimenting with our field tomatoes. So here in West Central Missouri, we're in growing zone 6A. And our weather doesn't generally settle until around Mother's Day. Now, what do I mean by settle? Meaning for warm season crops, the conditions are finally ideal to be able to plant them or to transplant them. So the soil temperature is consistently at 70 or above. The overnight lows are consistently above 40 degrees, usually closer to 50 degrees. The, uh, the chance of frost is pretty much nil. Although, that being said, every single season is different. We have had snow on Mother's Day in previous years. And we've had years where our last frost was like the 10th of April, and it just continued to get warmer from there. And we very well could have planted sooner than we did. Um, so you just have to pay attention to your, your conditions. But in general, around May 10th, around Mother's Day is usually that proper time to plant things like tomatoes and peppers and eggplant and cucumbers and zucchini, all those warmer weather, heat-loving plants. With that means that your outdoor tomatoes are not generally going to start really being ready in abundance until around the 4th of July. Now, for those of you who live someplace like California, that's unheard of. By then, it's probably almost too hot for tomatoes to be being produced uh, consistently. Uh, but for us, that's that's sort of peak tomato seasons. You know, July, August, September, those are our tomato months. Now, a lot of growers work around that by planting their tomatoes in high tunnels. So what's a high tunnel? If you do a search for high tunnel and just look at the images. It's also called a hoop house. It is kind of what it sounds like. It's a sort of a half moon shape on the ground made out of metal poles covered with greenhouse plastic. They are usually solar heated only, passive solar, usually no additional heat source, and they are intended as a season extension. So you can plant earlier in them in the spring and you can keep crops in them later into the fall and over the winter. 
You could do supplemental covers, row covers in the inside to keep things like leafy greens going all year round in colder climates. So they're a great sort of season extension tool. And a lot of growers in areas that have shorter seasons will use these tunnels as a way to get their warm weather plants in the ground sooner. It warms the soil up. It warms that air temperature up during the day for those plants. And around here, that means tomato production. You can get your tomatoes in in March and have them producing much earlier than your field tomatoes. Now, we do have a couple of high tunnels. They're fairly small by you know commercial growing standards. We're not a huge, huge farm. And we're actually in the process of moving those around because they were located, unfortunately, in floodplains. And we didn't realize it until later on. And so we needed to move them. So we, neither one of our, our high tunnels is actually up at the moment. We have a small greenhouse that we call a greenhouse. It also is not heated in any kind of supplemental way. We're adding a wood-burning stove to that in order to be able to keep the temperatures up so where we can start things earlier. But this year, we are having to rely solely on field production for our tomatoes, with the exception of a few that we're just putting in in the greenhouse. We try to get a jump on the season by making sure the plants are a really good size before we have to transplant them out into the field. And we'll dig them deep and get them in. But they still, with, with that disturbance of the root zone and you know needing to get watered in and getting settled into the soil, they always suffer a setback. And generally speaking, the earliest we usually see field tomatoes would be the very end of June. And those are usually the smaller sort of salad type varieties or those really early producing ones like early girl or early doll. The large slicers generally, again, it's, it's much later. So this year I got this wild idea to some of, take some of our, our larger slicing tomatoes, get them started early keep them in the greenhouse, plant them into larger containers to allow them to continue to get to size. And then when moving those tomatoes out into the field for production, leaving them in those containers, but cutting the bottom off and just placing them into those planting beds so where the roots could continue to go down into the soil and expand the way they need to without being disturbed and without having to dig a massive hole in order to be able to fit this massive plant into the ground. Again, in, in some of these areas that we've got out here, we have some pretty heavy soils, lots of clay content. Unfortunately, the best areas where we have plant, we have some really nice silty loam soil is in those floodplains. So we try to stick to fast growing plants in those areas. It doesn't always work with our crop rotation, but you know, if we can see that, that it's going to be an extraordinarily wet season, we will try now not to plant anything that only gets planted once. We'll try to put things like leafy greens that can be successive plant, successively planted uh, so that if, if we do get wiped out, I can just turn around and plant them again. And in three weeks I might have a crop. Um, but you know, the tomatoes this year, they are going in an area that is a little bit heavier soil. And so we don't want to have to dig down too far. 
The soil has been amended with compost. We're always constantly working on our soil fertility and in the soil structure. But, you know, why not try it with planting them into these larger containers? So what am I going to use? I, I initially thought, oh, a five-gallon bucket would be great. We just cut the bottom off, let them, you know, sit on that bottom until, you know, it's time to transplant them, and then we just kind of set it out there. But that's, I mean, we're doing 60 of those that variety. We're doing a scarlet red with these. And so I have 60 of those. That's a lot of five gallon buckets. That's a lot of soil. That's a lot of moving around. So what I also have is two gallon fabric pots. And so if you've ever seen these, they go by a bunch of different names, but essentially they're very porous. They are kind of like felt. And once those roots kind of get to the edge, rather than hitting a hard plastic and circling around, they just sort of stop uh, and wait until there is more soil available, which the idea here would be, okay, take those and cut the bottom off before planting, put them on some sort of a hard surface. I'm going to use some uh, bins that are usually used for mixing concrete and just plant the, sit them right next to each other in those bins, fill them with this, with the potting soil, Put the plant in there as they start to get larger. Right now, they are in three-inch pots, um, so this will give them a lot more room to grow over the next couple of months before it's time to transplant. And then take them up with the truck, get them into those beds without their bottoms, so that as soon as they're in the contact with that soil that's in that bed, they can just immediately start growing again. There won't be any root disturbance. It shouldn't give them any kind of transplant shock. And if I, you know, sort of mound the uh, the soil up around the outside of those fabric pots, those roots will actually grow through those pots and, and out into the soil. Now, whether or not I'll be able to use those pots again, I don't know. More than likely, yes. It depends on how well those roots do. But I'm just dedicating one bed, and it's not even a full, it's not even a full bed. Uh, just, you know, 60 plants to this sort of experiment to see if it's something that will work for us in the future. I'm not planting all of my plants this way. I'm not planting all my tomato plants this way. I mean, we have about 750 tomato plants that we do every year. I certainly wouldn't decide, oh, well, I'm going to do all of my tomatoes that way because, you know, what if they fail? That's, that's never a good idea. The whole proverbial don't put all your eggs in one basket thing. And for a farmer that raises chickens for their eggs, I can tell you that's absolutely true. You don't want to use all of your plants as an experiment. But one small number of plants uh, isn't such a bad idea. So what other ways can you experiment in the garden? So, you know, again, trying different varieties or different plants all together. You know, you, you may have a you know, a favorite tomato type, or you may have a, a favorite type of, of lettuce or squash, and then something catches your eye in the seed catalog or in the garden center that looks really cool and looks like it might be fun. There's nothing wrong with, with trying something new. I just always say don't, don't completely go whole hog and change all of your plants over to that variety because A, you don't know if you like it, B, you don't know how well it performs in your area. That's the benefit to trying to shop with local seed suppliers, local plant growers, rather than hitting the big box stores first, because 
those plants that have been grown in your area will generally fare a little bit better because they're already used to your climate. Especially if you're working with heirlooms. If you can find heirlooms that are from the area that you're in, all the better. You're going to have a lot more success. They are acclimated to your area. But nonetheless, as long as the temperature conditions are right, you can you can grow things from, from all over the place. Another way to experiment is by adjusting your planting dates. So I always encourage you, you know, follow the calendar. You know, keep an eye on what your last frost date is. Keep an eye on the average temperatures for that time of year, especially if you're starting your own seeds. You can sort of plan for that. And, and backdate it and figure out when you should start those seeds inside based on your typical data for your region, you know, the historical data for your area. But if you're buying plants to put in the ground, you have a little bit more flexibility. You can sort of wait until you know the conditions are right and then go pick those plants up. Or you can pick them up early if you have a place to hang on to them. And that way they're there and they're ready for you to jump on and, and go ahead and put into the ground. You can experiment with when that date is that they go into the ground. As long as you're keeping in mind the basics of when the best time is to plant plants or to transplant plants, then fudging it a little bit one way or the other can give you some different results. I'll give you an example. In our area, squash bugs are a major problem of people who like to grow zucchini and yellow squash and other types of summer squashes. And a lot of gardeners have found that if they wait, and rather than planting immediately when the temperatures and the soil conditions are conducive for that crop, if they wait until later on, they actually will miss a lot of the bug pressure. So rather than transplanting out in May, they will wait to plant those squash until the end of June or beginning of July. Now, if you, you know, are growing a small garden, you have the ability to water those plants in properly during those really hot months, then this is a great idea. You have missed the time during which those squash bugs are more active and are more likely to be laying eggs to continue their life cycle. And you will still have plenty of time because zucchini squashes and yellow squashes will continue to produce on up through the first frost. You'll have months worth of summer squash to enjoy and a plenty to be able to preserve because, well, now you've missed all the bug pressure. You know, does that work in a situation like what we're in where we're growing for market and people really do expect to have their squashes, you know, ready by, by summer? It, no, you know, but we have other ways of protecting, you know, against pests, and I'll do an episode on that as well. But, you know, adjusting your planting date, whether it's because of bug pressure, whether it's because of whenever the rainy season is for you, you know, if if your area gets more rain towards the end of the summer, the beginning of the fall than you do in the spring, then that might be a better time to plant certain crops. There's nothing that says that you have to follow the hard and fast rules. 
So what are some other ways that you can experiment in the garden? It may not necessarily be all about, you know, planting times or planting varieties or spaces. You know, what about different ways to water your garden? Things like making drip feeders using old soda bottles or doing the sort of pot in pot method for, you know, planting and growing things. Maybe, you know, trying to cut the top off of your pepper plants to encourage more bushy growth by by topping that off and and maybe will that produce more fruit for you in in your season maybe it's about trying different ways to measure where you place your plants you know instead of putting a tape measure out there or you know something else you know turn a, a tool into a measuring stick that way it's a two-in-one sort of a tool or or maybe it's turning a clay pot into a one of the a cloche to protect young plants from sudden overnight frosts that you weren't expecting, rather than using the traditional frost cover. There are so many ways that you can experiment with different things to see whether or not they're gonna work for you and work in your area. Other ways you can experiment may have nothing to do with growing at all. Maybe you can experiment with how you mark your plants in your garden, you know? Instead of using, you know, cheapy plastic markers, you can write on rocks. Or one year my mom made garden markers out of some wooden spoons and some puff paints to mark what was in the garden. So there's there's all kinds of ways that you can experiment and there's you know going to be successes and failures and that's and that's how it works. That's that's why it's an experiment. But hey, if you hit on something that works really well for you, then great. It was absolutely worth the few times that maybe you lost some plants. So I will absolutely keep you posted on the experiments that are going on out in our gardens. I will let you know exactly what happens with these scarlet red tomatoes and how we put them out there and what the yield is and whether or not our idea worked and whether or not it's something that we're going to keep, if it's something that we're going to expand on, or if it's a total failure and it's something that we completely decide to ditch for next year. I know this was a quick episode. I appreciate you guys coming back and listening. Hopefully you can tell we're working on the audio a little bit. There's uh, This is definitely an evolving sort of podcast, and I appreciate you coming along for the ride and kind of listening in these early stages. I would super appreciate any feedback you have. You could absolutely email me to, uh, the email is grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com, and I will take all any and all criticism that you've got right now, any helpful hints, any feedback that you've got. If you have any questions, I totally plan on doing some Q&A episodes on the Focal Point Fridays. And so if you have gardening questions, if you have any of those, send me an email, same email address, or you can go to the website, justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. There's a contact form there. Uh, absolutely send me any questions you've got. I would love to do a Q&A episode with you all. So thanks so much for joining me today. And I will talk to you again on Tuesday. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I hope listening to these episodes is helping you understand more about how to grow and preserve your own food and maybe growing an awareness of food issues in general. Just remember, no matter where you live or what you have, you can absolutely grow something.